Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Every once in a while, either in a newspaper or perhaps on your Facebook feed, you'll see an advertisement for an event that will feature these two words. First annual. Yes, you know, the first annual Hunter's Supper. Or the first annual Christmas parade. Or the first annual Thanksgiving feast. But with those simple two words, there are really two things that are getting across. First, in that year, there will be an event that will celebrate the thing mentioned. But, since they use the phrase first annual, there is also at least a suggestion that this event will now continue on from year to year. Sometimes you wonder if the person who put together the advertisement really thought through using that phrase. Did they really mean in the first year of the event to possibly obligate themselves to the likelihood of a second, a tenth, or a ninety-sixth annual event? In our text for today, Jesus is described with a similar phrase. Jesus is described as the one who is the first fruits of all who have fallen asleep. Yes, Paul says that not only had Christ been raised from the dead, but that he was the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. He was the first, but not the last, to rise. Since we have this term, first fruits, in our reading today, it's appropriate that we would go backward in time first before we try to go forward and apply this text to our own lives. For the concept of first fruits was something that was very familiar and common to the Jewish Christians. In the book of Exodus, the children of Israel were told this. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Yes, right after the Passover celebration, the people were to bring the first sheaves of corn and wave them before God as an offering at the temple. And then, a few weeks later, at the time of the Feast of Pentecost, the Israelites were to come again bringing the very best of the first of their wheat harvest. They were to bake it into a loaf and then offer that to God. These offerings were used to support the Levites, those priests who worked in the temple and had no land of their own. All of the first fruit offerings that the children of Israel gave were not just about giving the best of the first, although they were about that, but they were also given as a confession of faith. They brought the first of the harvest because they believed that God would produce the full harvest to come. That was just a small portion of what God would produce. And that leads us back to why Jesus is called the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep by Paul. You see, on Easter morning, Jesus had awakened from the sleep of death. And that changed everything, but not just for himself. 
Oh yes, he was the first who would awake from the sleep of death, but he was not the last. Oh, he was the first fruits in the sense that he was the best, but really when Paul uses the term, he's really using it to say that there was more to come. As we believe that because Jesus was raised from the dead, so also will we. Yes, our belief in the resurrection is solely based on our belief in his resurrection. And such resurrection to eternal life, the resurrection of the body that we confess in the creed, that's essentially the true hope of every Christian. You see, our true hope as Christians is not simply to fall asleep with Jesus and be done with our earthly journey. No, our true hope lies in the fact that we believe that just like Jesus, that one day after our bodies have been laid to rest, we will again be awakened. We will receive new bodies and go to live in a new heaven and a new earth, which our Lord Jesus has prepared for us. We will follow the lead of Jesus on what he did on Easter morning. One could say that Easter morning was sort of the first epic production of the resurrection of those who fall asleep in faith. But it was not the last episode to be produced. In fact, Luther once said, commenting on our text, we would be poorly comforted if Christ's resurrection had no sequel. You see, if Christ only was raised up for his own benefit, it would not provide you and I any comfort or hope. And that is why we rejoice then to know what the scriptures confess, that Christ's resurrection was not for himself, but was for us and our salvation. He came to rise for all the people who had placed their trust in him. Yes, he had come to offer forgiveness and life. As our text says, Adam was that one man who consigned all to sin and therefore all to death. But in Christ, that one man, all have been offered forgiveness and life and resurrection. So yes, on that last day, we will see a sequel. We will see a sequel to the resurrection of Easter morning. For we too shall be raised up just like Jesus was. That's what will happen to you on the last day is exactly what happened to Jesus on Easter morning. You will wake from the sleep of death and live again. Death will no longer have any mastery over you. Yes, on that day, that great enemy of death will finally be defeated completely. Jesus' victory that he won through the cross and through the tomb will be perfectly clear to all because death will have lost its sting altogether. Many of the parables that we've been reading over the last few weeks of the end of the church year have warned us about not being ready for Christ's return. But our epistle reading for today reminds us of all the wonderful things that God has promised to give to those who are ready when the Lord returns on that last day. If the other parables have told us 
that we should be scared away from experiencing eternal death? Well, this passage today tells us that we should be drawn to Christ because of experiencing eternal life according to his promise. It reminds us that Jesus' resurrection was only the first of its kind. It was but the first fruits of the resurrection to come. Sadly, though, all too many times in this world which is so full of troubles and trials, we Christians, I think, sometimes talk about our hope as if it's simply reaching death, which will bring the end of our trials and troubles. To use the language of sleep that is found in our text, sometimes I think we make it sound as if what we are really looking forward to is laying down to sleep, when what we should be looking forward to is being awoken to everlasting life. Don't get me wrong. We do look forward to the rest from this world's trouble. The things that we loathe in this world will not be present in the world to come, but that's hardly the end of the blessings that God will give to us. No, heaven is not just about God taking away bad things, but it's also about him giving us every good thing. And chiefly, it's about him giving us the very resurrection life of Christ that we can live out with him forever. Do you understand the difference? Your desire in the end should not solely to be done with, to be done with this world, but should truly be to start your new life in that new world that God will create. You should not want this new life that God offers you solely because this life can be rather awful, but rather because that life will be so good. You should look forward to that new body and new life in the new heaven and the new earth rather than just leaving this life. You should look forward to Christ's call to wake up much more than you should look forward to the day when you will be called to lay down. Yes, on that first Easter Sunday, a flyer could have been put up calling that day the first resurrection because there were certainly many more to come. For if Jesus' resurrection was just about him having life, well, he would have never needed to take on our human flesh and die. Christ already had eternal and perfect life with the Father, and so why did he leave that behind? Well, because he knew that we would lie down in death and would need to have someone else raise us up to life everlasting. So that is why he came and died. He died in our place and was raised up as the first fruits of our own resurrections. Today we gather here, so to speak, to wave around the first fruits. We wave around Christ's cross and his empty tomb as a confession that we believe there is more to come, that God will produce on the last day an abundant harvest of those who believe in Christ. We believe that Easter was not an end, but rather a beginning. It was Christ's resurrection, but ours is still to come. So know this today, that if you cast your whole lot with Christ, 
you can be assured that Christ's resurrection indeed is your resurrection. You can set your hopes on that last day and find comfort and joy even amidst the trials and tribulations of this world. Yes, today, whether you are considering in your mind that day that you will be called to lay down, or whether you're considering those who have already went before you and are resting in the grave, know this. They will rise. They will be woken up. You need not mourn as those who have no faith or no hope. Those people, they are asleep. You, when you lay down, will only sleep. For all of us in Christ shall wake on the last day. Christ the firstfruits on Easter morning, then on the last day, all of those who belong to Christ. Luther commented on these verses in this way. And so the Christians who lie in the ground are no longer called dead, but sleepers. People who will surely also rise again. For when we say that people are asleep, we refer to those who are lying down, but will wake up and rise again. Not those who are lying down bereft of any hope of rising again. Of the latter, we don't say they're sleeping, but just that they are inanimate corpses. But therefore, by that very word asleep, the scriptures indicate a future resurrection. Christ's people do lay down to sleep the sleep of death. But they do so only to wake up again, to have everlasting life. And that is our hope. Amen.